Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, everybody. And Marilyn. Hey, guys. We are having too much fun already, which is a good start. We have a lot of fun stuff to cover today, but before we get into it, I just wanted to give you guys a quick intro. This is a podcast triathlon, a triathlon podcast. One more time. One more time. <laughs> the 99%. From the <laughs> Where the real gains are made. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please tell a friend and give us a thumbs up or like on all the various platforms in which you might be listening to this on. We'd really appreciate it. If you don't like this podcast, then please shoot us an email or a message somehow and let us know what we can do to make it better. Or you can keep it to yourself. Or you can keep it to yourself. uh, I mean, we'll take constructive criticism, but if you just don't like us as people... I mean, actually, I could use the constructive criticism, so send that my way. (laughs) All right, so in, what, a little less than 10 days, we have one of the first races in North America that's that's about to happen in a really long time. St. George 70.3. Yeah. Nice. Well, we've we've had a couple happen already, but what's special about this one is that it's the North American Championships, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's kind of a a backyard race for Arizona, even though it's still kind of a long drive, we don't have a ton of races out here. So a lot of people kind of head up from, from Arizona for that race. So that's exciting for people in the West. I mean, people are, are excited. I think this is the one race that's been on the calendar that people have been confident will happen. And I think because of that, that has so much excitement. And, and I feel like this is the first race where people are going to it, who they actually prepared for this race, right? Whatever race has happened before was like, Oh, I got a race, but this race, people are going to actually show up pretty well prepared. So it's pretty exciting that way. Yeah, for sure. And, and they probably should since (laughs) the St. George course is not super forgiving. Uh, I don't spend a huge amount of time on it, but the swim is usually choppy. Usually there's, there's some wind, which gets some, some swells out there in the water. There's a picture of Jesse and I at the reservoir 10 or 11 years ago, and you can see the wind in the photo. It's how windy it was. Anyways, it can be be really, you can actually see the wind. The long range forecast does have it only for normal windy. But uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. Breezy. Breezy. No, 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 no. It'll be above breezy. It'll be windy, but it won't be hurricane windy. And if you're going to St. George, the town next to it is not hurricane. It's hurricane. And they will call you out and they will know you're not a local. So that's your pro tip for the day. But yeah, I would be ready for a choppy course because it will get windy, especially at the reservoir. It's kind of like sits up a little bit higher. So be ready to deal with some chop and some swells and some eager competition who maybe haven't swam straight in a while. Yeah. I imagine the start is going to be pretty intense for everyone because everyone's going to be kind of chomping at the bit. Is the water still pretty cold there this time of year too? It's been a cold swim. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a little bit of a shock to the system. So yeah, wrap your head around that. Think about what you might need to do to prepare for a cold swim. And, uh, and then it turns out when you get on the bike, it's still kind of windy, doesn't stop. So be mentally prepared for that to still be going on. <laughs> and, uh, and the other thing about the race is it is like, uh, it's point to point. So you do usually get favorable winds on a fair amount of it, which is nice, but there are still some crosswinds that are pretty strong and 
you end up climbing a fair bit in the beginning, beginning of the race. Marilyn, yeah, I mean, you any- you, yeah. You leave that transition. You head right up that climb. Right. And then uh, they changed it a little bit. It's a little more on the flats, but within the first 10 miles, you're heading up that, that false yeah. flattish climb that really kind of kicks your butt if you're not expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, and I don't know if since the last time I've been there, if the pavement's any better, but it's kind of a bit of a grind and slow pavement around there. So, um, you want to be prepared for if you're de- dealing with conditions, like you just got out of cold water, um, it's a little bit windy, slow pavement, um, bit of a grind, that kind of thing. So you know, it's a tough course. It's a tough person's course for sure. There's sections that are really, really fast. And if you're technically done some good practice, you're going to be able to make up a lot of time, but it's definitely the kind of course that favors someone who's got a lot of good strength at this point in the year. Um, which if you've come out of a long year of training, then hopefully you are strong, but mental toughness is going to see, you know, the ones that are sort of gritty and, and bring that to the race course are going to do well on this, especially on the bike. I think. Yeah. I, I think one thing to keep in mind with the bumps on the road are real. They actually did. They just repaved some of the areas close to T1, but most of the rest of the course is bumpy pavement to say the least. And when you combine those bumps with a very large field, there's just going to be a lot of people around and the wind. I, I always like to remind people like, Hey, you need to drink your water when you can. And if you're not confident riding your bike with a 20 mile an hour crosswind and arrow while drinking, you need to drink whenever it's safe to drink. And on this course, you might get stuck in a section where maybe you can't drink for 20 or 30 minutes if you're trying to go forward. So drink when you can drink early, drink often. It's my general tip for that course. Yeah. And I also want to make sure that before people pack up and head to the race, that they're really smart about their equipment choices. You know, if it's been a little while, we've talked about this on other podcasts, since you've been on your race equipment, this course in particular, that fast ascent coming, coming home. If you, um, you know, if you've got a good wheel choice and you're really good at handling your bike at a high speed descent with some, like you say, some crosswinds that can hit you, that's, uh, you know, you're going to do really, really well. If you've, Maybe a bit out of practice or you're a little lighter athlete, you want a shallow front wheel, um, your aerodynamics, really this course is really about being able to ride the equipment fast when it's when it's technically hard and having light enough equipment to go fast uphill. So more aero isn't necessarily the fastest wheel choice on this course, in my opinion. I think you want light stuff and you want stuff you can handle technically fast. I don't know, Jesse, you've, you've been out there as well. You got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I was out there one year when I was feeling pretty aggressive and I showed up with a, a disc rear 1080 front and I was a, a little lighter at the time. It was probably like 62 kilograms and I got blown from white line to white line, like all the way across both lanes of traffic, like holding on for dear life to not go over the edge of a cliff. Um, so like Marilyn said, I think having proper wheel choice is going to be really good for this race. And I I would also say like, if you're unsure, just go shallower. Like the time, if, if they're both, if you have choice of two arrow wheels and one of them is a little less deep, like the time you're losing, isn't that much. If you're going like box rim versus arrow, that's a little different. But uh, if you have, if you have a quiver of front wheels, I would always go a little shallower for a course like this. And, and also to Jesse's point about getting blown around, like, not only should you ride the equipment that allows you to be more stable in this course, but you also need to remember that like arrows only faster if you can stay upright. So if you're like, <laughs> oh, this is an 80% chance I'll hold this upright. Like that's a 20% chance your race is over. Those are pretty bad odds. And you're going to have a lot of chances to make that choice on this course. So like 
get on the bullhorns, be comfortable, be confident. You'll stay upright. Um, wind is tough. I mean, I went for a little spin yesterday here in Tucson and it was windy and I almost got blown off just on the bike path. So, um, race setting with a bunch of other people around you who probably aren't thinking that clearly, you know, it's, it's always better to err on the side of safety. So, yeah. And then the very last equipment piece, I know we don't want to spend forever on just St. George, but, um, because how technical this course is and how tough it is, make sure you got the right gearing on your bike. Um, that's going to make a difference as well. So, you know, if you have some different cassette options, you want to have some good climbing gears. There's not a lot of places on this course where you're spending a long time in rhythm TT, where you need those like that cluster in the middle of the back to be really tight. And you need, you know, those good time trial type gears, like you might at like Galveston or one of the flatter, more rolling courses. This course, you're either climbing or you're descending. There's, you know, some sections of false flat, but you're going to find a good rhythm in sort of somewhere in your cluster, you're going to, um, it, those middle gears aren't going to be as key as having the good climbing gears and a really good descending gear. You know, you want to make sure that you've got that big gear to be able to go fast down those descents. And then, um, so if you're choosing that type of gearing, you know, have those things in mind. I think wheel choice, gearing, those two things are going to make a difference on how fast you can ride this bike course. So yeah. And, and I guess last step on the bike course is save a little energy on those first climbs. Cause you're excited. You just got out of the water. You can ride those pretty hard. And then you still have snow Canyon at whatever mile 35 or 40. And that's, that's a pretty like big climb. Half, like nine and a half or 9.8 miles or something that climb. Right. I don't know. My eyes were crossed, but yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> yeah, it's a long climb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just, you know, I think it's good to have a healthy fear of that to keep you uh, conservative in the front. Um, and then after that, you've got a big descent, which is nice, but then you have the run, which also is, isn't flat. I, I think the biggest thing about St. George that people don't talk about is the run course is actually harder than the bike course. Everyone talks about the bike course. Um, but like straight up, it's not an easy run. It gets really rough. Jesse and I have both done a ton of training around there and just like running on the roads, even, even before the race existed 10 years ago. Um, those roads are not flat and they are hard to go fast up and fast down. And I think the biggest thing is like when you hit the downhill, when you're going, whatever it is, mouth like three to six and then, uh, nine to the finish. If you're having a good race, you have pretty good turnover and you're really kind of like pushing your turnover and you need to have energy and your kind of like ability to focus on good posture and, and like high turnover. Um, and that can really, you know, disappear if you rode too hard. So it's, it's important to remember, like, not only are the hills hard going up on that course, but like, if you're going to run quickly downhill, you've got to have energy in the tank to do that. Yeah. And, you know, beginning of May in that area, it could be hot on the run by that time. I mean, so we're starting out in super cold water and a pretty cold start. And then we've got a tough run course. And, um, you know, if hopefully you've done some work where your quads are ready to take the beating of running fast downhill, and you've done lots of good hill work in training to be able to handle this kind of course. Your endurance is really good for how tough this course. We're is. making this race sound really terrible, but I it's mean, one I, of my favorite I love races. It. I love it. It's pretty warm. So if you're coming out of a winter place, right. I mean, if you've been training in pretty cold conditions, yeah, you're right. Coming out of Tucson, it can be hot in the run a little later. So make sure your nutrition's on point that you're prepared for fueling and hydrating for for a, a bit of a warm run as well. So those are sort of the key things that maybe people don't, don't talk about headed to this race quite enough. I think it's a great test of strength and like short of wildflower, there's not uh, RIP or maybe it's going to come back from, for like the third time. Um, but uh, it's a great test of just like your triathlon skills. 
and you, you really have to be well-versed and strong in all three events. And, and that's what makes it a great race. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we're all looking forward to it. Totally. So yeah, start conservative and uh, have fun. You get to race. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, next up, we had a question about travel tips as in like heading to a race. So uh, I know some people just got back from challenge Miami. Some people just got back from Galveston and then looking towards the future. We have like say Ironman Tulsa coming up where I don't, I don't know how many Oklahoma natives there are that do race triathlons. So probably be a lot of people flying in and out for that race. I coach one. We got one. Throw it out there. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, I guess what, uh, what travel tips do you guys have? I, in my mind, the biggest thing is, is the bike, right? Like running shoes is pretty easy. Getting on and off a plane by yourself is pretty easy. The, the sticking point for me is always, how do I get my bike to the race? Well, I mean, I think, yeah. So obviously if you're driving, you're taking it with you. And if it's on your car, one of those things is like, try to keep it out of the wind as much as possible. So generally behind your car is better than on top and in your car is better than behind. Maybe take off your wheels if it's behind, but if you're traveling with, uh, if you're flying with it, um, I, I know a lot of people get freaked out about flying with your bike, but I feel like it's, it's a toss up as to whether it's better to ship it or fly it. But when you fly with it, at least, <laughs> okay, we're getting, we're going to get inside baseball with that one. But, um, you know, like both are a totally fine option. You just have to make sure that it's packed, um, pretty well and then cross your fingers either way. Cause it can end up bad, even if you did everything right either way. And, so like, I think the big thing is like, you just kind of take a deep breath. You realize that could happen and you do everything you can. And then, you know, most of the time it works out and not every time. And we all have a, a terrible story, unfortunately. Um, but I will say, yeah. I mean, I, I traveled the world with, uh, my bike for like literally had around the world ticket for, you know, six years straight continuously and took my, my backpack and my bike box everywhere I went. And I, I never had any trouble. Um, I think the most I ever had was like a bent rear derailleur once that was easy to bend back out. So if you pack it properly, you know, you put the things between the fork and the rear, yeah. stick, take your, take your rear derailleur out, you pat, you know, put lots of padding in there. Um, you know, all do all the right things that way, put fragile on it. Um, the hard cases are always a little bit better than the soft cases, those kinds of things. And I, yeah, like I say, I mean, I literally traveled all over Europe, Asia, New Zealand, Australia, North America, and with my bike and always flew with it. I'd never shipped it anywhere. Um, and no problems at all. It was, it was great, you know? Uh, and so you're reminding me one of the main tips we should probably say, if you can travel with a extra der rear derailleur hanger, please do. Yeah. Um, if you can travel with a travel bike pump, please do. If you have tubeless tires, do not deflate your tires all the way, or you're going to be going to a bike shop when you come back. And I think another travel tip is like, if you're not confident in putting your bike together, it's probably too late for St. George to be hearing this, but any other race you might be planning to go to get in contact with a bike shop, like way more than a month before in, and just talk to them and see if you can like kind of get on the books for a check-in to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, look at your bike. And if you are confident, just make sure you travel with every tool you might need. And those things that you might need an extra of, whether it's a tire or tube, extra sealant, um, whatever, how do you say the word proprietary? <laughs> um, not an English major, um, you know, travel with that extra piece. And then that will solve 
most of your problems. So. Yeah. And when you pack your bike, you know, if you put, if you secure things, you know, if you've got little loose bits, make sure all the bolts are tightened and anything that might come loose, or if someone opened up the bike box and it might get lost or fallen or whatever. I always used to make sure I put anything like that, make sure all, after you undo all your bolts and you pack it in, do them all back up so that they don't have the chance to like wiggle out of there and fall and end up flying out of the box somewhere and you get there and bolts are missing and anything that might be loose, um, put it in a little bit, little baggie, zip it up, tape it up, tape it to the bike. Um, so that baggie doesn't have a chance to fall out if someone opened it up, but it's all there with your bike. So when you get there, you know, you're just preparing for, you know, if somebody's going to open that up and they're taking a look around, they don't really know what it is, TSA, that kind of thing, then you have no risk of losing anything, no risk of anything falling out of the box. Those are, those are all precautionary things you can do. And, and literally I never had any trouble and the more, yeah, like you say, the more stuff you can travel with yourself, the better. And yeah, the one thing I did in the very beginning, when I didn't know anything about taking a bike in and out of a bike bag is I went to a shop and I paid them to do it. And I was like, can I watch? And they were super helpful. And, and I mean, you know, they, they kind of guided me through the process on, on how to take it in and out of the case. Um, Elliot finds that hilarious. I'm not sure why, like if you don't grow up around bikes and maybe you don't know how to take a bike apart and put it back together. And, and so, you know, if, if you're going to pay somebody to do it, then you can just learn from them and they're super nice about that. So I would say if you don't know, then don't be afraid to learn. Um, that is good advice. Was this question specifically about like traveling with your equipment? Is that what we're because um, I, it's I just saying... it was travel in general? Because I the, the next thing I was going to talk about is basically like stay hydrated, take some extra vitamins, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, and um try to stretch in between long periods of sitting down, right? Yes. Like the stand-ups. Yeah. Stretching often makes a big difference with travel for sure. And packing your own food. Uh, uh, yeah. Pack, pack some snacks that you can count on. Um, and then, you know, basically like there's sometimes if you're at a, in the right airport, there's some healthy food, but it's, it's often very hard to find fruits and vegetables and it's often hard to find stuff that's not covered in grease or sugar. And I mean, it's always okay to eat those things a little bit, but if you only eat them for a couple meals in a row, you usually don't feel that good. And if you combine possible time travel or time, <laughs> time changes, and then, um, and, and possible bad sleep and just sitting a lot, you know, that adds up. So if we can stop, you know, if we can stretch a bit, we can stay hydrated, bring your own snacks and then compression socks go a long ways. Yeah. I always fly in compression. The, and the very last tip that I'll give with travel that I think gets often overlooked is people count their travel day as their rest day and they try and train hard into their travel day and train hard immediately out of their travel day. Now, if your travels are really short and you get a chance to do something easy in the morning before you go and you're able to, or you're able to do something light when you get there, that's okay. But if you're doing a long haul trip or international, you want to go in, into your travel a little bit rested. And then your first sessions coming out of travel should be pretty light and easy and just allow your body to loosen up and get moving again. And then the next day is when you'll start to, to get after it a bit more. I see way too many races ruined by people going way too hard, too close to big travel. And then they think they're going to rest on the plane or in their big travel and, and travel is not restful. It's stressful and you're sitting a lot. So imagine you do something really hard and then you're locked up sitting for hours and hours and um, it being very stressful. And then they hop off the plane and then they try and like do intensity or, or, you know, feel amazing right away into a big session. And 
And it's best to give your body some time to sort of loosen up, get rid of the swelling, um, get rid of the stiffness, sort of get the travel out of your body and then wait till the next day to start to, to get yourself really revved up for the race. That was very good advice. You should rewind and listen to that part again, because that's probably the best part about the travel tips so far. No offense, Jesse or myself, but thanks. Awesome. All right. Travel tips wrapped up. So with the travel tips, kind of thinking about traveling to maybe an Ironman, which a lot of people are starting to prepare for since we have some late spring, early summer Ironmans on the horizon. And one thing that I see athletes doing more of as they're getting ready for a bigger race like that is, is integrating maybe some new things in their training. And one of those things could be like doing a double session, like a, a double run day, a double swim day, like two, two sessions of the same sport in one day, double bike day too, double bike day, um, double transition day. You know, you can double anything, um, double trouble, but, uh, I guess I wanted to talk maybe a little bit about, about the history of this. Cause I think we see this kind of generate come from like, um, single sports, right. Where like growing up as a yeah. swimmer, we did doubles a minimum of twice a week. And it was a lot more than that. Once I got to college and we, we were swimming a lot more yards. You guys run, run, yeah. Running and yeah. swimming. It's massive, but Maryland has some, some history with the cycling double personally as well. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think it, like when it comes to single sport, it's sort of you go trails back through the whole history of any kind of single sport that you're the doubles are just a part of it. Right. And so um, that's the difference between. So we're multi sport athletes and we're balancing three different sports with still working out two to three times a day for depending on the level of athlete you are. So um, I know for uh, most of my professional career actually was three sessions a day, you know, morning, noon and night. Um, and depending if it was a really long one, maybe it might only be two, but a lot of times it was morning, noon and night. Um, and then, so for most multi-sport athletes who are elite athletes or even, uh, trying to achieve the higher end goals, you're going to be working out twice a day, but balancing the multi-sport. So, you know, between swim, bike and run and gym and how you balance that in your programming. But then traditionally, yeah, the double doing what we're specifically talking about doing the single sport where you work, do it twice a day, um, in cycling too. I mean, doing a 90 minute session in the morning and a 90 minute session at night or two hours in the morning, two hours at night, that's, that's really common in the cycling world. And I think for all the same reasons that the, that the other sports do that with swimming and with swimming and running. And, and I think we're going to dive into the details of what, why, and what that looks like and where the benefits are, or maybe where the hiccups are in the different sports, right? I mean, I'm sure doubles with swimming and doubles with running, maybe the, what we're trying to achieve is the same as swim, run and bike with those, but like the outcome could be drastically different and drastically different depending on the athlete. And how does that apply to us as multi-sport athletes who are work, used to working out three times a day or twice a day and, and balancing those three sports? So um, I think this is gonna be a fun topic to, to dive into. Yeah, so let's, um let's run through some of the pros and this can kind of be any order. We don't have to go with the, the most bang for your buck here, but pros in, in doing a double. And if we can use like single sport references or whatever, just kind of what, what are the good things? What, what are the benefits that people can derive from doing a double? It's, it's like, for, like one, the best way to increase your frequency. Like, so for, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's a way to increase frequency. That's super easy. And maybe you can't do a trip, you know, you can't do a swim bike run every day, um, or even five days a week or even four days a week. 
but let's say you're trying to move to four sessions, four bike rides in your week, but you can only get out, you know, two days a week. And then you have this other day where you actually can ride twice, but it has to be on the same day. You know, like it's a great way to increase frequency for a lot of people. Um, and increasing frequency is the easiest way to increase volume. And I think at the end of the day, this is an endurance sport. And if you have more volume that tends to work out pretty well. So no matter what sport it is, I think like that, the, the pure baseline of like twice is more than once. And, you know, and that adds up to more, um, and more is more. That's the, the guiding principle behind why a lot of people are doing a double. And I, and I'll just sort of add to that. I think the, the biggest reason to do it is to be able to increase the quality within those sessions as well. Right. I mean, if you, um, you know, say you've got a three hour ride versus, and you only have a certain amount of work within a three hour ride, or you have two 90 minute sessions and you might be targeting, um, opposing energy systems in those two 90 minute sessions. Like the morning session might be 90 minutes, but it's got an hour's worth of, you know, threshold Watts with big gear. And then the evening session might be a 90 minute session and it's got more, you know, tempo range or even same threshold range or even uh, even higher higher than threshold but you're working at a you know 100 to 115 even 120 rpms you're you're getting a, a big hit of training stress within those two sessions much more than you would if you just go out and do a three hour, three hour ride in the morning and and what you the recovery from those actually is quicker and better as well as the training response. So would you do them all the time? No, there's still obviously a huge purpose to doing the three hour ride, but incorporating just a little bit better quality with opposing energy systems, or even just, you know, more cumulative work within those rides by breaking it up. That's, that's really, really effective in terms of getting that much work and being able to recover better from them. Yeah. So like if you, if you tried to push all that intensity into one three hour ride. Like, first of all, you probably couldn't do it, right? Cause you're just, you can't handle that much load. Or if you could do it, then this would be like a race effort that you're going to be really effed from for a long time. Exactly. Whereas if you do the two 90 minuteers, you have some time in between those sessions where you can refuel, you can rest up, let your body recover a little bit and then break it down again. So, so then by the end of those two sessions, it's you, you've already recovered some, so you're not in quite that hole as you would with that one giant session. Exactly. Yep. I think that's kind of the same kind of across the board, right? Whether you're doing two swims where at the end of like, say a 5k swim, you're probably like dragging a little bit, like I can't really go fast again, but if you kind of you know, break that up a little bit, swim again in the evening you, and you've had a chance to recover, you can get a little more top end in there and, and kind of keep that intensity a little higher. Yeah. And your form doesn't break down as much. Right. I mean, when you break things up. So one of the number one things is like, you know, the old acronym tough, it's like technique under fatigue and being able to keep quality under fatigue. If you're able to get better, more better reps throughout the day um, versus, you know, like you just said, if you're doing like a, a 5k swim and at the end of that 5k swim, you're completely broken down, your technique's broken down and you're not getting good quality anymore. Um, and versus if you can get even like a two K swim and a three K swim, and all of it is in good with good technique and under good form, then that's, that's more, more reps that are done well within that day. than if you just did the five K where you're broken down for the whole last thousand meters. Yeah. I think did, I, did I jumble up what I said there? <laughs> Elliot was laughing. I might've, I might've been a tongue twister. Oh no, no. You said, uh, <laughs> more, you said more better. 
but oh, like, more better, it, it more was, better. it was like, yeah, you know, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really think that that's, uh, that's applicable to like run training mm-hmm. where if your form breaks down when you're running or you need to do like a reset with a bunch of like PT work, if you, if you break it up into two runs or even like three runs in one day, you have kind of that reset where you can reset your form, you can rest, and then you can kind of get back at it and hopefully like, you know, like have more time running with good form. I'm going to strongly discourage anyone listening to this podcast from running three times a day. I've done it. It's hard to work out, but, uh, or hard, hard to make it work. I mean, it can be done, but I think generally speaking, if running is not your full-time job, probably not a great idea. Um, on the, the, so I, I think another way to think about it is let's say you have time for three hours of training. And when we were talking about that bike ride or that, that 5k versus 2k and 3k of swimming, um, if you want to have a quality session, but you're like, okay, I need, I want to get in some base aerobic work and I want to do some quality session. So you, you can do two things. You can do your quality work and then like do base miles after, and that can work for a lot of people, but that you generally have to be pretty darn fit to be able to get in your work and then not just feel like garbage for the remaining portion of your ride and still get in that quality work. So for a lot of people who aren't like a full-time athlete or super, super, super top end, it makes way more sense to do an easy, whether it's a technique swim, an easy swim, um, or maybe a swim with some drills. And then you do your other session that's more intense and you're, you're just, you spend less time uh, essentially being exhausted, milling around with bad form. And that goes across all three sports. Um, I do think generally speaking, unless your run is really, really short, you'd probably want to do your more intense run first, but I think the general way you'd practice it, if you were running would be to wake up and do a really short, easy run. So you wouldn't do a lot of volume in the morning, you'd, but you'd keep it pretty short. And then your tougher run might be in the evening. And this is of course, if you're in a place where it's not super hot in the evening. Um, so what's your, I was kind of curious, like in terms of structuring double day runs, usually that's the sport where the difference in the volume of each session is greater, right? So swimming, you might do three K three K or five K five K, but running, I don't feel like you often do, you know, 15 miles, 15 miles or something like that. It's often more like four miles easy in the morning and then you do a bigger session in the afternoon or vice versa. Actually, you know, being someone who is really injury prone when I was running a lot, um, the, the most, the way that I was able to build my run up to that level of performance was doing, like I would do my long run in the morning. It might be a two hour run, um, with all of my work rate in it. Like we're talking about, let's say your key Ironman run. Yeah, you're so like a two hour run in the morning. My in the morning. yeah, two hour run in the morning with all my quality work in it. And then, you know, we might do like a midday swim or something like that. And then in the evening, just head out for another 20, 30 minute jog with strides. And, you know, I end up getting getting the mileage in that I needed, but it was structured in a way that I stayed more injury free and, and was able to compete at the the level that I wanted to. For me to go out and do 18 mile runs or even 20 mile runs that just like, that wasn't really an option, um, for me because I was so injury prone running. And so it was like, okay, well, how am I still going to get what I need, not be injured and still compete at that level. So it was, it was often broken up that way. Um, yeah. So that you, you liked having the bigger one early Mm -hmm. and then the shorter one in the evening. 
Exactly. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you're doing the, a longer run that way. And I'm thinking like, I feel like if you're doing a, like, let's say you're doing a 10 K or a 5k session, I feel like that's the one where it'd be more likely that you do the shakeout jog in the morning yeah. and then you do your intense session in the afternoon. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, whereas, and, and then I think if you're doing like a half Ironman or sorry, half, half marathon effort, or even like a hard true marathon effort, that's the one where like, it tends to be maybe more that session would be first and the shakeout would be second. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Jesse. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a ton of ways you can structure that, right? Like I, and I think a lot of it comes down to personal preference. Like I, I like getting my hard workout done in the morning. That's like what I gravitate towards. And I think that's what, you know, a fair amount of like type A athletes gravitate towards. They want that done. So I feel like they might like the idea of getting that like bigger session done and then knowing they have like maybe an easier run in the afternoon, but I think there are definitely benefits to both. And I mean, I've even seen like two mid distance runs that have like a fair amount of work in both of them spread out throughout the day. And uh, I've seen people have pretty good success with that. So I think that like how it breaks down definitely kind of depends on what the athlete needs and kind of what, what they're going for. I think one, one big thing you can kind of derive from this besides all the obvious like benefits of getting in more intensity is you can get a lot of confidence in like for Marilyn who couldn't do an 18 mile run. If she could do like, I mean, whatever it was like a 12 mile run and a six mile run, then she got in those 18 miles in one day and going to the race. She's like, yeah, okay. Like I never did that 18 continuous, but I had these days where I got in whatever it was, 18, 20, 22 miles. So you can have some confidence going in. And, and I guess, however you structure the work is like, I, I would, try to remember that one of the ideas of breaking it up is to keep it, keep your body more safe so that you're doing the work when you're fresh or can maintain good form. And for you, whether that's like in the afternoon, after you've had like a, sh a shakeout session and done some PT work and feel good, or if you're kind of a wake up and, and do the intensity or like, you know, whatever you and your coach kind of prescribe there, but knowing that the idea is intensity with good form, I think is kind of the goal in order to stay safe, gain, gain confidence. And, um, yeah. And then get in those sessions, even if they're not all together, because it's not like if you take whatever it is, six hours between your runs, it's not like it's a totally different day and you're totally reset. You still have that fatigue in your legs and your body. So it has some of the same cumulative effects of a long run with a, a little bit, like maybe a little bit more safe because you, you know, you can maintain a little bit better. I guess the, the big takeaway from that is if you're doing whatever your first session is, even if it's the big session, you don't get a get out of jail free card because you are doing four miles in the evening. And so your long run is four miles shorter. You still have to keep that in mind and you still have to properly execute that session. And it's very rare that a properly executed session leaves you lying on the floor dead. That's what racing's for, right? So it's kind of like that idea, right? They're like, oh, okay, this shakeout jog, I shouldn't be going 30 seconds faster than easy. I need to just actually go easy to loosen up for the day. And then you'll have a great second workout. And same thing, um, you know, when you do the big session first, the second workout often isn't great, but it needs to be not a total struggle, right? Or not, a, you, you shouldn't come in broken. And I think that's the big takeaway there with running. I will say that with the, the sh double short intensity bikes, um, it's pretty common when you go to do the second bike, you, your brain is telling you you're, you're real tired and you don't want to get back on the bike. 
Um, and especially if you have done a lot of quality in that morning bike, but most of the time I will say like, I mean, I've almost hit, like, if I had to throw a number out there, like over 90% of the time, that second session is actually stronger and of better quality. And then afterwards you feel really good. Like I, I almost even like, I still do a double bike once a week, even now. And the second one, I'm always like, oh God, I just, I'm like moaning and groaning. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then I do it. And I actually like surprise myself with the numbers. And afterwards I feel really good. Like I feel a million times better than I did before the session. And before the session, I'm literally like, you know, drinking coffee and having like personal self-conversation to get my butt back on the bike and all of this stuff. And, but it's amazing. So just if you try these things and you experience that, just know that it's normal and, and probably, you know, what you're going to experience is something positive afterwards. So try not to decide before you even start the bike, how it's going to go. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing about like cycling in general, like, or if you look at bike racing, it's just like repeated, um, efforts, high intensity efforts. And it's, and it's not necessarily like a long, big threshold thing. If you're watching any of the spring classics, right. It's like, how fast can you go up this climb? Oh, by the way, there's 42 of them. Um, and so if you're doing that in training and maybe you do 10 reps of something like that in the morning and 10 or 15 in the evening, Oh, for the day, that's like just an amazing amount of quality that you just wouldn't really be able to do without being totally cooked for two days. Um, <clears throat> And then I think the other thing that's interesting, like most people tend to perform better. If you just look at like, what is somebody's peak operating time of the day? Most people it's somewhere between like one and 5 PM. Um, and I think cycling wise, you know, like I as well, not so much recently, but you know, um, when you do doubles, you know, that morning session you're getting in quality work, but it really maybe doesn't feel great. And this is a, this is a great chance to kind of mix that up and feel both, both ways to do two things. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Jesse. I was just going to say, like, if you're playing around with it and you're thinking like, what would I even do? Like I would say, even right now for me, let's say Tuesday morning, I'll say, I'm going to go ride my bike for two hours in the morning. I'll just hit all the super steep climbs that I can, um, you know, around the North side of Tucson, whatever, there's a lot of steep climbs and it's not even really, really that structured or anything, but just getting those climbs, there's a sort of variety between one minute and three minute climbs that are all pretty good effort just to get up them. And I won't think about it too much, come home, spend the whole day working. And then the evening I have a, a roller session that is going to end up having to be high RPM, high intensity, about, you know, 90 minutes worth of work. And so that, you know, if you're looking at like, how do I even plan these things and not make it too complicated, or too stressful, but still get a lot out of it, you know, that, that can be something you can even just try right off, right out of the, any training plan that you're doing right now. Yeah. One, uh, one way I like to do it is, is like, do one ride on the trainer and one ride outside. Like Marilyn said, it almost feels like it's two different sports. So it's, it, it almost doesn't feel like I'm doing a double if I do like an easy spin in the morning and then an evening hard trainer ride. So I think that is a, a good way to kind of introduce doubles. Um, if you have that option. Yep. That's how I did it. It was teach spin class in the morning group ride in the evening. Nice. The most extreme double situation that I've done has been in the swim, actually, when I was racing professionally. Um, and it wasn't even double, it was triple. So I was in a camp for about three or four months straight. And every single day I had to swim morning super early. And it was just a 2K sweat, sweat 2K set. And then, um, and then midday again, and then before 
before dinner at night. So each one of them was 2K and I had to do that every single day for like three months. And so you add that up, that's 6K a day of quality. And it was, I mean, it was mind numbing, you know, it was just a, a lot of short, fast reps. And, um, but I will say it did change my swim completely. Something that was like a struggle for me for my whole career. It finally, it sort of crested me over the edge. Now, obviously most of us aren't going to have the time and freedom to go to the pool three times a day, as well as all the other, you know, bike and run and stuff. But that was just an extreme example, um, where I experienced a, a pretty significant change from breaking up the training like that. On the, um, sorry, on the flip side of that, I think it can also be a good way to make training work in your life. Like the other day I had to get in like, a, you know, I have a three-year-old and so I was trying to take care of the three-year-old and it was Sunday. I was supposed to get in my long run. And so like I was able to jump on the treadmill for an hour in the morning when she was still asleep. Uh, and then later on, I had another window when she was like napping. So you can kind of say, okay, like this is what you want to get done, but it doesn't fit in with your life. Maybe you can change things and use like the structure of a double just to have it fit into your life better. Like if you're, if you're working, you can break it up with the work day or whatever it is. So sometimes you don't get those giant blocks of time to go for a two hour run or, you know, a three hour ride, but you can kind of use this to say, okay, I can, maybe I can even make my training better by using a double that keeps everyone happy in my life. Agreed. Do we, do we want to talk about the, the ways to screw up a double now? I was going to say, we've talked a lot about the pros. What about there, there are no ah, negatives. Come on. There what? <laughs> There's no negatives. More is better. No. Um, you should do six talk. workouts a day. You should just every 10 minutes. I will. I did a CrossFit workout once that once every two hours, you did a workout for 24 hours that don't do that. Um, so let's talk about the cons. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the cons. Yeah. Um, I think so the the biggest thing is you don't get to sleep like you are not sleeping or if you are sleeping you're lucky to get one REM cycle. Um and so there's your recovery between the workouts there is recovery between a morning and evening session but there's not a lot of recovery in the grand scheme of things it's not a full day and so you need to be cognizant of that and and it really means that if you go hog wild on that first session and your second session involves intensity and you went too big on the first session, the second session can really bite you in the butt. Now swimming, what happens? Oh, maybe you spend some time swimming with bad form. That's not a great thing. You know, riding, maybe you just don't ride as strongly. Um, but running, running really fatigued, that's how you get injured. And so if you go too big on that first session or you come into that second session a little too tired and that's the one where you're supposed to go hard and you're forcing it, and you're like really, really pushing yourself, that's the chance where you're going to increase your risk of injury. So it's kind of funny because a double is a great way to reduce your risk of injury. And if done wrong, it's also actually the fastest way to increase your risk of injury. It's yeah, double so, so the pro is you can get in more intensity. The con is you think you can get in more intensity. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken or the egg. I mean, I think the key part is, is really making sure that you structure carefully. Mm-hmm you know, based on all these things that we're mentioning uh, when you actually do the hardest session, you know, and that they're like, you're saying, Elliot, the one that's easy really, really does need to be easy in the right way. So that it's per, so yeah, particularly running, swimming and riding, of course we can get away with it, but I think that's the one where, you know, a, a double, like, I mean, I've done doubles tons, but 
you really have to be aware of which one is your easy run. And like, if I would say it, like, I wouldn't give an athlete or an athlete who doesn't know what easy running is, they don't get to do doubles. You know, it's hard enough to program their week already if they don't run easy enough. But if some, if you, if you have trouble with the concept of easy running doubles, aren't for you. Um, right. I think that's a pretty good way to start. And just to keep keep at the front of people's minds, when we're talking about doubles, we're talking about doubling up on the same day within the same sport. So that's we're not talking about like if you do a bike in the morning and then a run at night or swim in the morning and then a bike at night, like that's different. That's, you know, structuring your workout with broken sessions versus we're specifically talking about you're doing the same sport within the same day. Just, just make sure that people remember that when we're having this conversation. So uh, what are... Oh. I was going to add one more kind of like danger or con, if you will, is that like, like you're talking about with that double run, it, people need to be cognizant of that second session, kind of like you were saying earlier, and that like, you can't say, oh, I'm going to spend all day like shopping or whatever up on your feet all day. And then all of a sudden you go to that second session and you're totally drained from the day plus the run you did earlier. So like really being careful what you do in order to prepare for that second run has got to be like it's got to be taken into consideration. Like you've got to be fueled up appropriately. You need to like, you know, taking some time to get ready for the run. It can't just be like something you're slapping on and expect to be like, you know, feel good add intensity or whatever you're going to do. Because if you have a long stressful day, that can be like, you know, infinitely harder than if you just done one longer solo run in the morning. So being really careful with that day and being really mindful of the fact that you are working out again. Yeah. And, and if you know what that day is going to entail, you know, I mean, this is from personal experience, but like, I remember I wouldn't do a 10 mile run in the morning if I knew I was digging irrigation dishes all day, because I was like, I'm going to be smoked. I'm going to get fired. That's a problem. But I could jog five or six miles easy, super easy in the morning and then post work, slam a Gatorade, slap myself in the face and go out for another super easy run. And then I got 10 miles in that day. But, um, but there was no way I would be doing intensity in that situation, right? That would be the day where like I knew I wasn't working or something like that. Nice, yeah. I think the fueling component's really important. You know, I, I was talking about the double bikes and how you, and we were saying how you can really increase the intensity, but one mistake and, and trouble people do get themselves in with that is that they don't increase the amount of carbohydrates that they're taking in on that kind of a day and they get themselves in a bit of a deficit and they realize oh, wow, I've done, like we already expressed, way more quality within a three-hour ride than they would with just a, a, a maybe another continuous three-hour ride. And they didn't, they didn't eat enough and they didn't particularly eat enough carbohydrates to, to back that amount of workup. And then they get themselves in a bit of a hole. Um, so that's, you know, that can be something to watch for. If it's not necessarily, oh, now I'm only doing two 90-minute bikes, so I can also diet this day. It's like, no, you're actually working twice as hard, so you really need to make sure that you're fueling right after that first session is on point. What you eat through the day is setting you up well for that second session, and then being able to um, you know, make sure you take care of replenishing things right afterwards, after the second one. Carbs, you're making carbs, me, carbs. Yeah, you're making me think of another another con is just like, like hurt feelings of, you know, hurting your own feelings when you, when you do a session and maybe you, you know, you really nail it in the morning, but you told yourself that this is a split session and then you maybe pushed it a little too hard and you come in and then you just essentially, you totally fail on the second session. Um, and sometimes it's just from increased, you know, 
you came in, you were supposed to do a six and you did a seven, you got super stoked. And then that afternoon you come in and now you think you're going to do a seven again when that was already too, too hard. Um, I think that's another thing that kind of keep in mind, like both sessions aren't going to go the same. And sometimes the second one is a little worse and that's totally okay. Cause you're probably still getting out of it. What you- I don't think, is there any other, um, I think the only last con that I want to make sure that we cover is that if you are a time limited athlete and you're listening to, Oh, this sounds like a great idea for me to increase my volume, but I still need to balance swim, bike and run appropriately. So remember that even if you, you know, you don't want to watch that, it's tricky, right? I mean, it's tricky balancing life and jobs and, and kids and swim, bike and run, and maybe already doing two sessions a day. So if you're thinking about these types of doubles, um, you know, watch that you don't neglect the balance of swim, bike and run by getting too much, just single sport doubles in. So if you're trying to weigh up, which is more important, always know that it's more important to have a balanced swim, bike and run over a long period of time for months and months on end before you start adding, this is sort of like the icing on the cake. If you've got extra time, if you need ways to increase, you know, your, your volume, maybe it's a, maybe it's just specific to your long run on the weekend, you know, these kinds of things. So um, just keep that in mind that you don't get too carried away with this type of single sport doubles and start to neglect the actual importance of balance of swim, bike and run for our sport. And I would say like, you also don't want to use this to always neglect those, those longer endurance sessions. Like we need that aerobic base that is best come from like a longer session. Maybe you can't get that in say the run, or maybe you have limited pool time, so You can only get in like a shorter swim right now, but you, you need to kind of make sure you're getting endurance somewhere, whether it's the, a long bike ride or something. So I'd say doubles are, are great for all the reasons we mentioned, but you don't want to solely rely on them for all of your training. I see a lot awesome. of heads nodding. How are you guys feeling? <laughs> feeling pretty good with this one? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we covered most of the everything. only other time to say double, double is if you're in Canada and you're at Tim Hortons, then also get great benefit. <laughs> in the U S right. you just say pizza, pizza. pizza, pizza. Yeah. That's ooh, you're showing your age with that one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, team dollars. Th- I just lost all of our U.S. listeners and all the Canadians just cheered. <laughs> you know what they cheered to? Timmy's. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, thanks for spending the hour with me, guys. I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I did my double run yesterday, so I, I should be good. Um, right. I did my double <laughs> coffee today. So oh, that's, that's every day. Morning that's every day. and afternoon <laughs> coffee is very important. Super fun, guys. I like this topic. Thanks for chatting about it with me. Yeah, take care, guys. All right, bye.